Welcome to Mythsterhood of the Traveling Tales. Join us as we roar the heavens and swim the seas in search of the spectacular and magical. Like the Hydra of Greek lore, our fangs can raise the dead, bringing lost skeletons back to life for an episode or two. But unlike our three-headed friend, we're not guarding the door to the underworld. No, we're blasting it wide open and inviting you to come explore with us. Hello, hello, Misters, and welcome to episode 9 of Misterhood of the Travelling Tales. Today, I will be joined not by Annika, but by Koji. I'm afraid Annika is not feeling too well, but we hope that she will be joining us again for episode 10. Koji, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jess. Um, I'm a little bit nervous to be out from behind the website and on the podcast, but excited too. So, Well, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm sure you'll do absolutely excellent. Thank you. Um, What do we have going on first? First up, we have a bit of housekeeping um, in the form of a massive, massive, massive thank you to our new patron, Lizzie. And of course, as always, we have our preemptive apology for any mutilations inflicted upon words we're unfamiliar with. And now, without further ado, where the hell are we, Koji? (laughs) Well, let's take out our map and see where we are today. Well, that's a bit difficult. We're supposed to be in Central Asia, but the borders tend to bleed. Bleeding borders. That sounds like the perfect place to look for dragons. Does it now? Well, you won't be disappointed with the mess. (laughs) Okay, in all seriousness, we're mostly looking at the countries that have the Persian suffix stan. So, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan... All the way down to Afghanistan and Pakistan? Mmm, debatable. So, that's the problem. Right. So, when you started this week's research, you ran into two words used for dragon in Central Asia, didn't you? One is the Persian word Ajdaha, which has a slight variation in each of the local languages. The other is the Turkic word Evren. Right, and they're... Are some differences between the Ajdaha and the Evren, but not a lot. Right, until you get further west. Countries like Turkey and Bulgaria also use Evren as a type of dragon, which varies from the Central Asian Evren. Oh, and Annika had asked me to keep Turkey out of this week's episode. Well, she did, she did, but you did too, because I think we're going to mostly concentrate on the Persian Ajdaha with a bit of Turkic mythology thrown in. Is that correct? I think so. Let's get to it. Where shall we start? How about the furthest east in Mongolia? Oh, um, were we also going to cover a bit of Mongolian mythology then? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Right. Um, So, Mongolian dragons look similar to Chinese dragons. Long, thin, winding. But unlike Chinese dragons, they were not thought to bring good luck. Instead, they were evil forces to be fought against. Right, like the story of the Black Dragon King who lived on the land and constantly attacked the men. Apparently, an old man who was one span high with a beard two spans long. Hang on. Say that again? (laughs) An old man who was one span high with a beard two spans long. Wow, that is some beard. Hipsters, (laughs) eat your heart out. (laughs) Isn't it, though? Like, huge beard. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, Beard Man had a sack, a spoon, and a billy goat. And he decided he was going to defeat the Black Dragon King. When he passed the sea, it asked him where he was going. The old man said he was going to defeat the dragon, and the sea mocked him. And so this angry old man caught the entire sea in his spoon, and he put it into his sack. Right! Next, he met a fox who also didn't believe the old man could defeat the dragon. So the man scooped up the fox and put him in the bag too. The same thing happened with a wolf, except the old man had to beat him with his spoon before he could put the wolf in his bag. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds like an amazing spoon. When the old man got to the Dragon King's palace, the Dragon King released his 10,000 sheep to trample the man. But the man released the wolf from his bag, which scattered the sheep. <laughs> well, if the wolf was fierce enough to scatter 10,000 sheep, that spoon just became a lot more impressive. <laughs> anyway, the dragon next released his two dogs to devour the man, but the man let the fox out of his bag, which led the dogs away. Finally, the dragon king ordered his 10,000 soldiers to attack the old man, but the man opened his sack and poured out the sea, which drowned the soldiers and the dragon. From then on, the dragon only lived at sea. It kind of makes you wonder why the dragon didn't start with his 10,000 soldiers. Yeah, doesn't it, though? But, I mean, we've seen it before. These stories are not exactly always, like, super logical. I mean, it's the nature of stories, I guess. Yeah, there's got to be some progression there. Yeah, definitely. I mean... If the if if Gandalf had led the company of the ring on the most logical route, the book would have been like three chapters long, let's face it. Anyway, it is an interesting story, but we learn more about the hero than the dragon. And that's, unfortunately, how dragons tend to be represented in Central Asia, as a negative evil force. The mythology doesn't get into their origins or personalities. Instead, they often represent some kind of demon or devil. Or, like in the Mongolian story, negative forces of nature. Mongolia has some other dragon stories too, and one really interesting creature called the Mongolian death worm. Ooh, I know that one. Is it the big toothy one Jabba the Hutt tries to feed Luke Han and Chewie to? No, wait, that was a sandworm, wasn't it? But, I mean, a death worm sounds interesting too. Right, it is. Um, and here's one of those names I'm totally going to mess up. It is called the Olgai Korkoi, also known as the Large Intestine Worm. In 1922, the then-Mongolian Prime Minister, Damdid Bazar, described the worm as shaped like a sausage, about two feet long, with no head nor leg, and so poisonous that merely touching it meant instant death. Supposedly, it lives in the Gobi Desert, and, get this, researchers inspired by Frank Herbert's Dune constructed a motor-driven thumper and used small explosions to try to find it. But alas, no luck. The worm remains a mythical creature. Too bad. Anyway, moving on to Kazakhstan, let's talk about the Tree of Life legend that most Central Asian countries share. In this legend, life is represented by a tree that connects the three spiritual planes. The roots are underground, where the demons are. Apparently, a large dragon is wrapped around the roots of the tree, and the trunk is on earth where humans are. 
and then the canopy reaches to the sky, where good spiritual beings are, often represented by birds. Ooh, this is the episode art that Anarchy drew this week, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Um, since she's not here to talk about it um, this week, perhaps we can convince her to write a little something up on Patreon to discuss that. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Let's lean on Annika here. Please, Annika. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, the interesting thing about this is that the Kazakh dragon is a chimera-type creature. Its snake body symbolized the terrestrial, water, or underground world. Its head and feet were of a predator, and it represented the average land world. But its wings, the top heavenly world. Supposedly, this allowed it to act as a mediator, which could go between all three worlds. So then dragons could be good creatures after all. Mm, Not quite. Here we get into the Turkic-Persian split. In the Turkic view, the Evren, although not gods themselves, represented Tangri, the Turkic god. However, Persian influence seems to have won when it comes to dragon culture, because they are mostly painted in the Persian way, which is that of an evil serpent. I see. Oh, did you know Kazakhstan has a cryptid? Ooh, cryptids. Yeah, yeah. Lake Kukul, I don't know if that was pronounced correctly, but let's guess that it was. Anyway, that lake has an Idakar that is 45 to 50 feet long with a 6 feet long and 3 feet wide head. It has a long neck and one hump and it's said to have a trumpeting call. The water in the lake occasionally swells or ripples for no apparent reason and the locals rush to collect the water in the creature's wake because it is said to contain healing properties. See, I'm not buying that they think of Adakar as evil. Healing water? That sounds pretty good to me. It does, it does. If only the serpent wasn't wrapped around the tree of life, trying to eat the eggs from the bird spirit. Oh, so that's what it's doing down there. Yep, and that's why hero after hero descends to kill it. Right, like Manus slaying the dragon on his famous statue in Bishkek. Manus was the founder of Kyrgyzstan, and there is an epic poem about him called the Manus Epos. Like Homer's Iliad? Like Homer's Iliad, but longer. Much, much longer. It's 500,000 lines. Wait, that's more than 20 times the length of the Odyssey and the Iliad combined. Right. And, get this, it was mostly passed down through oral tradition. It's only been written down recently. Wow, that is one feat of amazing memory training. So, in it, Manas defeats a dragon? Not just one dragon, but several. Mostly these dragons were your basic run-of-the-mill evil dragons, or guard dragons guarding the castles of evil characters. However, there was one notable thing about them. Several of them had multiple heads. Like the Naga? Actually, more than most Naga, we're talking between 60 and 100 heads on a single dragon. How would they all even fit? I know, right? Like, can you imagine all those heads just squished onto one body? (laughs) Yeah, it's a scary (laughs) sight. I mean, who'd want to fight that? I guess that's what you're going for with a guard dragon anyway. 
So next, I wanted to talk about the Yel Begin. This creature is fascinating, and I'm not quite sure where to place him. Like, where on the map? Well, on the map, his legends stretch from Turkey all the way to Siberia, with a strong concentration among the Turkic and Altai people. But the problem is, I'm not quite sure he's a dragon. In the original myths, Yel Begen was a multi-headed dragon or serpent-like creature. Yel means wind, magic and demonic, while Begen comes from Böke, which means giant serpent or dragon. Well, I mean, that clearly sounds like a dragon to me. Yes, but over time, Yel Begen evolved into more of a multi-headed ogre-like behemoth. In a legend of the Altai, there was a seven-headed ogre, Yel Begen, who used to try to eat the sun and the moon, which is how the Altai people explained eclipses. Oh my god, that sounds like Bakunawa and the other dragons who swallowed the moon. Right, but is it a dragon or a giant ogre? Either way, it is said to be a being of pure evil that usually lives in dark and hostile places or guards unreachable locations. It's often multi-headed, with three, seven or nine heads, and it breathes fire. It is considered an extremely intelligent, wise and knowledgeable creature of supernatural strength and proficiency in magic, very rich, usually described as having castles of enormous riches hidden in distant lands, and often lustful for women. Apparently, many historical and mythical heroes were conceived by this type of dragon. Okay, so a dragon who likes to get it on. But <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. Definitely still a dragon. Who knows, like, maybe it's like one of those shape-shifting dragons that can take human form, except this one takes ogre form. Okay, let's do a quick little stop in Turkmenistan where we'll check in on a dragon slayer rather than a dragon. <gasps> Ogus Kagan? Ogus Kagan, yes. He was a legend of the Turkic people. When he was a boy, his land was terrorized by a dragon named Kiant. Oh, we have a name for once. Any other details? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Only that as soon as Ogus Kagan came of age, he set a trap for Kiant by hanging a deer in a dead tree. He then killed the dragon with a spear and cut off its head. And... And that's it. That's a bit of a letdown. Isn't it? But killing this dragon did allow him to go on to unite the Turkic people and become their national hero. I suppose that's good. But I just want more details about the dragon, like in Uzbek poetry. Apparently, the dragon is a mythical creature with two or more heads with wings. They are sparkling, but an embodiment of evil. Contemporary Uzbek poetry combines the negative connotations of war, certain regimes, lust and ambition into the dragon. Interesting. I just want to point out here that sparkling sounds great, like sparkling dragons. Doesn't it, though? You'd almost take all the negative sides just to have the sparkles. Almost, not quite. Almost. But that's like a lot for one creature to represent. War, regimes, lust, ambition. Yeah, and because the dragon holds so much imagery, poets can use it to express a lot in few words. Take Jamal Sirojidin's poem, History Pages, The Fall of the Fall, where he says, Our breath has dried up. The seas and lakes, the horned dragon, bones adorn our ways, poisoning on the goddess of Sebda. He uses the dragon to show how humanity has destroyed the earth through our desires, especially for wealth and fame. Interesting. Well, 
I don't have any Uzbek poetry, but I do know the word for dragon in Uzbek, Ajdarho, is also used to describe a cruel person. So you'd be saying like, oh, you're such an Ajdarho. Oh, God, I like that. <laughs> that is kind of fun. I might have to pick that up for my own language. Yeah, you and me both. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see if we can leave our listeners with a better image than a cruel person. Shall we take on just a bit of Pakistan? Sure, why not? Okay. Well, in Pakistan, they've got a mix of dragon beliefs. Neighboring India, of course, they have some Naga beliefs. However, the Chitrali have a more Persian dragon, the Ajdar. They are large winged serpents with golden manes like a lion. The Ashtar protect treasure and devour warriors. But the warrior could counter the Ashtar by holding his sword above his head with the tip of the blade in one hand and the hilt in the other, and this would tear the Ashtar's fish-like mouth. Fish-like mouth? Yep, fish-like mouth. That's what we're going to leave our listeners with? Well, I do promise to give them some more Persian dragon in the blog next week. But until then, I really think that's all we have time for. Oh, all right then. If you enjoyed this whirlwind trip, please consider leaving us a rating or review on the platform of your choice. This helps new listeners find us, and that's super important for a new project like The Misterhood. If you want to get the first peek at next week's epic artwork by our lovely Annika, do come and hang out with us on Discord. In the meantime, we will reconvene for our next journey in the Middle East. Awesome! I can't wait. Until then, we wish you all days like dragons greeting clouds. Later, Mythsters! It's so fun to see you typing in real time. <laughs> um so wait now i lost my place yeah um (laughs) oh and the rope oh and the rocals (laughs) and the locals so it's snake body symbolized the not the testicular Uh You know where this one is going, don't you? Oh, no. No, no, not the blooper reel. You know it's got to. It's too, it's too good.